I want to welcome everybody that's tuning in online with us. Uh, We're in the midst of a a message series entitled Living Toward Community. And uh, we've just been thinking about what does it look like for us to be a Christ-like community? What are the values uh, that make us that kind of church? And so two weeks ago, Pastor Mark helped us to remember uh, God's vision for the church is that we would be a lion and a lamb lying down together kind of community, that that God would begin to transform our natures, that people that look different and think different, that as as we together begin to take on the nature of Jesus, uh, the way that we would love one another, serve one another is important. And last week, um, we were looking at the the central uh, focus and life of the church together. It comes through the Word of God. And uh, I don't know if any of you guys noticed, uh, you know, I, I preached from on the screen, but I was telling the story of uh, this guy whose brothers had, you know, dug a hole and wanted to get rid of him. And then, you know, he was carried off into slavery and, uh, you know, lived and he, it was just so unfair for him. And Daniel had a hard life. And uh, I was at home with Sarah and was watching the message uh, Sunday night. And I thought, I said, Daniel, that was Joseph. You guys knew I was just trying to see if, test you to see if you were listening, right? Um, hey, Brett Johnson, uh, he leads a, a Bible study every Tuesday night for our guys. And um, uh, he was just sharing with me, you know, we we're talking about the Word of God. And he was sharing, I, I know Brett's been digging into the Word, but God's been speaking to you. I asked him to just come and briefly share what God's been talking to him about. morning. Usually if I'm at the 11 o'clock service, so I'm seeing some faces I haven't seen in a while. Um, I've been on a job hunt the past, I don't know, two or three weeks. Just felt God was calling me in a different direction. And on Monday, I had a, had an interview here in town and really good job, pretty good pay. And I just kind of felt that this isn't what God's got for me. So I, uh, I received the job offer, and I, I turned it down, and I went to work that day, and on my lunch break, I, I opened up my Bible app, me and a buddy of mine, we've been doing this devotional, trying to create better habits, and one of those habits is spending more time in the Word, and as I opened up the Bible, I was kind of just feeling a little discouraged, because I just turned down a really good offer, and um, my Bible app opened up to Matthew 7, 7, where Jesus is talking to the disciples about prayer. And it says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. And I just thought that was a great promise from God. And then about 15 minutes later, I hadn't even talked to Kevin. I get a text from him. And he's saying, hey, I'm praying for you on the job hunt. And so I was just kind of kind of a, a promise from God to saying, hey, I've got something for you. And sure enough, later on in the week, something came up, and it's just a perfect fit and really good job. So. Appreciate it. The, the Word of God, I, I trust, I hope that you are just listening, diving into what God might want to say to you today. Hey, I invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 21, Matthew chapter 21, and we're going to be looking at verses 12 to 17 together. 
Would you stand with me if you're able in honor of God's word? Matthew chapter 21, verse 12. Jesus entered the temple courts and he drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said. I I just imagine he was shouting. It is written, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you're making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying, they asked Jesus? Yes. He replied, have you never read from the lips of children and infants you, Lord, have called forth your praise? And then Jesus left them, went out of the city to Bethany where he spent the night. Pray with me. Father, speak to us from your word today. We, we want to hear from you. We need the life-giving word of God. And so, Lord, would you give us ears to hear, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Have you ever heard of a, a rage room? Have you ever been there? Anybody? I've, uh, I, I, I haven't even heard that term until just a few months ago. But back in 2008, the, the first rage room was open to the public in Japan. The idea behind this experiential store was that people needed a place to blow off some steam in a safe environment. A place where customers would pay money to take a sledgehammer to an old computer printer, hurl ceramic dishes at the wall across the room, or take a golf club to a framed photo of their ex. Some of you here are going, yes, where is the closest rage room? These, these smash rooms or anger rooms, as they're also called, they, they started popping up. They spread from Japan to Serbia to Argentina, the United Kingdom to the United States. And you know today, in just about every large city across the United States, you can find at least one rage room. Now before you go on and Google, there's about five different places in Indiana. (laughs) The closest one, I believe, is in Vincennes. Listen to the feedback of one happy customer from our Vincennes, Indiana store. She posted about her experience. She said, I was so surprised by the fact that someone like me, normally so calm, so peaceful, so measured, not quick to anger, would actually be expressing anger physically, even against inanimate objects. I really got into it in a way I didn't expect. It seems pretty safe to say that there's a lot of pent-up anger in our world today. The pandemic certainly put a spotlight on this fact. You know how it goes. You just hear a specific word or phrase and just something is stirred up within you. Mask policies. Black Lives Matter. The police. Donald Trump. Joe Biden, gender, pronouns, you just hear it and and the teeth and the fists begin to clench. People are angry today. You know the Bible warns us in, in numerous places about the dangers of unbridled anger. 
And so many in the church, we just try to bottle it up, to contain it in certain ways. Certainly when you come to church, you want to guard that anger, right? But did you notice here? I mean, Jesus just let loose. Sometimes I just kind of wonder when Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, which all four of them recorded this exact same story about Jesus going Hulk smash, you know, at the temple. I wonder if the editing committee was saying, boys, you may just want to leave that story out. We don't want people to get the wrong impression about our gentle shepherd. (laughs) Friends, if there's one thing we learn from Jesus here in this story, it's that some things... Some things are worth getting angry about. But exactly why was he so upset? If we look at the broader context of this story, we see that Matthew, he describes this event as taking place immediately following Jesus' grand entrance for the very last time into Jerusalem. You, you remember it was a ticker tape parade. Jesus comes riding in on a donkey and all of the children, all of the people there, they'd probably seen what happened in Bethany when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And so they were all shouting at the parade as he entered in, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And there's just this sense of celebration But he goes immediately from the parade to the temple. And immediately, just in the blink of an eye, we go from celebration to irritation. And then all of the devastation. What's going on? First of all, why why did he go to the temple right away? You know, he he goes, is is it out of habit? Is that just kind of what he does once a week? No, in in just a few days, he knew he would be going to a cross. He would be wearing a crown of thorns. And so he needed to be in the presence of his Father. He needed peace in the midst of the storm. He needed joy. He needed clarity of the, the mission, why he would have been sent in the first place. He needed to reaffirm his trust in the pathway of the Father. You know, still today, it's only in God's presence that we discover salvation. Not just from the eternal hell someday, but from the lies that enslave us here and now. It's it's in worship that we're reminded of who we are, to to whom we belong, what really matters in life, what we give ourselves to. Worship is where God refines our hearts, purifies our intentions, fills us with holy love for God and neighbor. We were created to worship and to worship together for intimate relationship with God. And so Jesus immediately heads to the temple. It's it's where he was reminded of who he is and to what he has been called. All people need to be welcome to come and worship. So Jesus heads to the temple, but, but here's what he discovers when he arrives. It sets him off. He starts turning the money tables, driving out those who had set up some sort of shop. 
And then he starts screaming out, my house is to be called a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of robbers. Church, what's, what's going on here? Why, why is he so enraged? I remember as a teenager, as part of a large youth group, our youth pastor had this idea of bringing in a, a Christian worship band on a Sunday night. And we knew that the band was really popular, that people from churches all over would, <laughs> would gather in our sanctuary, and so the church board got involved. And, and the issue of merchandise, you know, the, the table where you sell the CDs, I mean, uh, the worship band, they, they've, they've got to eat, they've got to make some money, ticket sales only, you know, uh, gives them so much, and so um, the conversation was about selling stuff in the sanctuary or even in the sanctuary foyer. You know, Jesus got really upset about selling merchandise. That, that was the conversation. I, I don't think, I don't think Jesus got so upset about selling merchandise. I, I think there was something more, something deeper that was on Jesus' mind that got him so upset If that were the case, if it was just about, you know, keeping the sanctuary quiet and meditative, you know, we wouldn't have had vacation Bible school and, you know, 60 kids or whatever slammed into here as all of our children and adults are dancing and singing and praising. I think Jesus is talking about something more than just making the sanctuary a quiet place for prayer. You know, today we, we are the temple. The, the Holy Spirit of God is, is here. But in that day where God cho- chose to, to dwell, His manifest presence was there in Jerusalem, confined in that particular building. And people from everywhere were invited to come and meet with God there in the temple to worship Him, to bring offerings of thanksgiving, and to acknowledge their sin and have it atoned for through the shedding of innocent animal blood. Now those living in proximity to the temple, they might bring their uh, uh, defectless lamb or a goat or or for a a large offering, maybe a, a ram or a bull or... Um, a pigeon, especially for those who maybe didn't have the means. A pigeon would suffice. But those living in proximity would bring their sacrifices from home, from their farms, from their land. They'd bring them with them, and there they would bring them before the priest. But for the traveler, for those that were coming a long distance to come and worship, I mean, you know how it is traveling even just with kids, but can you imagine with animals? And so what their plan would be is when they arrived in Jerusalem, there they would purchase the sacrifice. And so the the religious leaders, they said, well, hey, we'll just set up some tables. We'll set up shop. We'll have vendors come with all different sorts of animal sacrifices that people can purchase from us. And there was people that were coming from all over, and so they would have various kinds of currency, 
And of course, they didn't take just any currency. And so as a service to the weary travelers, travelers, the, the religious leaders would set up exchange tables for a fee, of course. If you've ever been to the ballpark, you know what I'm talking about. You know, there's the security gate that you got to get in. You got to pay for your ticket. Oh, the price is just to get in. But then when you get into the lobby, there are vendors selling everything. Everything. And you know, there's always that rule about you don't bring any food or drink in. But once you get in, you, are, you start smelling the popcorn and the hot dogs. And for whatever reason, we get hungry. And for whatever reason, we're willing to pay the $25 for a hot dog. That's what's going on. The religious leaders were saying, the weary travelers, we've got them. Those coming from the furthest places, Samaria and the ends of the earth, we've got them. And for the poor, those who can't afford, don't have the means to bring a a sheep or a a goat, who who need a pigeon, oh, we've we've got them too. The the temple had been turned into a a, a money-making venture that the that catered to the consumer while ripping them off at the same time. And certainly Jesus is wanting to be mindful to not turn our worship gatherings into consumer experiences, but we're here to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice. That there should be some clear focus as to what our worship should and should not include. Certainly that can be read into this text. But the clear focus of Jesus' anger is that the temple workers had set up this system of worship that actually hindered the poor, hindered those who seemingly had the furthest to travel in order to receive the grace and forgiveness of God. Notice Jesus quotes the Old Testament prophets. You know, the prophets had come long before Jesus. But the call to the people to live as the holy missional people of God was still the same. First, he quotes from Isaiah where he says, My house will be called a house of prayer. Could we go to Isaiah 56? We're looking at what he's quoting here. And I want to look at a little broader passage here. Isaiah 56, verses 3 to 7. Listen to what Jesus says about the, those coming from a distance. Isaiah, rather, says, Let no foreigner who's bound to the Lord say, The Lord will surely exclude me from his, uh, from his people. And let no eunuch complain, I'm only a dry tree. Eunuch, think those unable to physically be fruitful and multiply. Let no eunuch say, I, I'm, I'm only a dry tree. For, for this is what the Lord says to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant. To them I'll give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I'll give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. I promise you the Old Testament Israelites, when they heard this word, that God was including not just 
the Israelites, but he was including the outsiders, the outcast, the marginalized, the poor. God, what are you thinking? Isaiah continues, and, and foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to minister to Him, to love the name of the Lord, to be His servants, all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it and who, who hold fast to my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. God is specifically speaking to the outsiders. Those for whom, whatever reason, they're not socially accepted by the religious insiders as part of the community of faith. Today we might refer to these as the lost, the unbeliever, the non-Christian, the people who are seemingly living out of bounds of the values and practices of the community of faith, still should any outsider desire to gather, to offer themselves in worship, to respond to the prevenient grace of God, there must be a cleared pathway for them to come to the Lord. That's what frustrates our Savior so much is when we put hurdles and blockades in the way of those who need to come and respond to the grace of God. Church, I, I, can I ask you, do, do we, do we have a clear path for outsiders to become part of the community of faith? Is there a clear pathway? You know, I'll tell you as pastor, I desperately want to see our worship service. I want, boy, I want to see this place filled with folks. First-timers that become long-timers, you know. I am so thankful for those of you that are willing to serve as door greeters to show up early. Those of you who sign up to bring donuts so that those who gather, especially those that don't really know each other, that we can kind of sit around the table and joyfully have fellowship together. So thankful for you when I watch you before and after the service. You linger and you go not only to your friends, but to those that maybe you haven't seen for a while or, or have never met. I'm so thankful for the way that we show hospitality here within the sanctuary. But where all this took place with Jesus, it wasn't in the Holy of Holies. It was out in the courtyard. Could we think about the pathway out there that we have set for unbelievers? Jesus was clear in designating what the pathway was for the lost to be found. He instructed his followers, go make disciples. Go, go beyond Jerusalem, go into Judea, to Samaria, to the ends of the earth, to the weary travelers, to the poor and the widows. Go. Go to those who may not think like you, who are, all, who are not already within your circle. Go to them and, and make disciples. As you go about your Monday through Saturday lives, be intentional about clearing a path for others. Talk with them about your faith. As opportunities arise 
Just help them to see Jesus in you. Make disciples. Beloved, can I ask you a question? In what specific ways are you discipling somebody else? In what specific ways are you coming alongside of another and saying, let me befriend you and let the Jesus in me rub off onto you? Let's, let's do life together, and as the hurdles come, let's work on them together. Let me help you to hear God's voice, and you can help me as well. Inviting somebody to gather with us in church, but I, I just wonder how many of us today, even in response to that question, maybe we just feel ill-equipped. Maybe just the term discipleship is scary to you. Maybe you just don't want to sacrifice the time. You think about the investment required in coming alongside and getting involved in somebody else's messy life when your own is messy enough. I I know that can be challenging. And, And so sometimes we make excuses. We justify. We keep gathering and talking about making disciples. But are we really? Jesus gets upset. You know, the other Old Testament scripture that Jesus references here, when he sees all all of the hurdles, all of the tables, the consumer ways that they've got them. Jesus uh, references this intense rage through the prophet Jeremiah in chapter 7, verse 11. And he accuses God's people of of making temple attendance a a kind of security blanket that we can justify our disobedience to God in so many other ways out in the courtyard. Listen to Jeremiah chapter 7. Hear the word of the Lord, all you people of Judah who come through these gates with thanksgiving in your hearts to worship the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Reform your ways and your actions, and and I'll let you live in this place. If we could just go ahead and skip down to verse 9. Jesus quoting Jeremiah. Jeremiah says, "Will, Will you steal and murder, commit adultery and perjury, burn incense to Baal, and follow other gods you've not known, and then come to my house, stand before me, which bears my name, this house, and say, we're safe. We're safe to do all of these detestable things. We gather by grace. God forgives me that my life, I just kind of live it like it belongs to me out there, but thank you for, for his forgiveness and grace again. Has this house which bears my name become a den of robbers to you? I've been watching, declares the Lord. A a den of robbers. It It refers to a hiding place for thieves. A place of safety and security in between stealing from others. Whether it's taking their purse, their wallet, or robbing them of the opportunity to hear the Word of God. People of God, why, why do we not listen to God's commands Monday through Saturday as we live out in the world? But then we show up for worship and think by our mere attendance 
that we're safe to continue not obeying God's clear instructions to go make disciples. Stop robbing others of God's blessing. Do you remember Jesus' final instructions to his disciples before his ascension? Go make disciples of all nations. Go clear a pathway for those who are a long way off from God. Make a way. Build relationships with them. Love them. Invest in them. In the course of your shared life, reveal the character of Christ. Teach them what it looks like to trust God. Jesus is saying, lead them to me and, and, and make sure to not let any obstacles get in their pathway to my presence. Both Jeremiah and Jesus get angry at the obstacles the church often places in the path of believers. Can we think about these hurdles, these barriers, these obstacles I wonder, maybe when we misrepresent the holy, loving character of God, because we deny, excuse me, deny the work of the Holy Spirit in us, we're not sanctified and set apart. We don't say to God, hey, look, my whole life, all that I am, all that I have belongs to you. And so there's so much inconsistencies in our lives, and we misrepresent at times the holy, loving character of Christ. It becomes an obstacle. Or when we place a bunch of heavy-handed rules and expectations on on those unbelievers. I remember a a young man that came to our church for the very first time and a well-meaning usher in the back said to this young man, "Um, your your jeans are all ripped. And friend, we do not come into God's presence like that. Oh, here's the worst. When the church allows the self-centered mindset that the rules this world has, that, 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 we, that we begin to build calluses in our hearts, that we come to the Lord and, and we express our own concerns and our own needs, but we forget about those who don't know Christ. We rec- have received a gift ourselves of salvation, eternal life, but we forget that our transformed nature, our desires to be like Christ, include loving our neighbor, talking to them about Jesus, inviting them into God's house, sharing Christ with others. God's heart is for the poor, the lost, those living in the margins. Friends, simply stated, a church that is living toward Christ-like community is one in which the people are furiously focused on clearing a pathway for broken people to draw near to God and find restoration. In knocking down the tables and clearing out the money changers, Jesus was powerfully advocating for the outsider. In what ways... Are you coming alongside, advocating, encouraging those who who may not look like us, who may not have the same kinds of values that we do, who have not responded yet to the 
incredible grace and forgiveness of God. Make a way. And as he turns over those tables, as he clears the obstacles, as he makes a path, look at what happens next. Verse 14. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple. And he healed them. We talk so much about, I I just wish there were more people. I just wish that the young, I I just wish that the brokenhearted would come and gather. What if the problem was us? What if we could hear the word of the Lord that not only are you called to go make disciples, but I promise I will be with you to the end of the age and to the ends of the earth. I will go with you. I will give you the words to say. I will give you the power and the strength when you are weak. In fact, when you're at your weakest, when you don't know what to say or what to do, when you got your own stuff and you got somebody else that you're coming alongside and you're just feeling overwhelmed, I am with you. I am for you. I will equip you on this mission. Church, what if we're the obstacle? The blind and the the lame, they weren't accepted in the temple courts. There was something wrong with them was the thought. They were unclean, diseased. There must have been some kind of sin at work in their lives. And, And so there were some hurdles for them to be able to come to the altar, to come and worship. The religious leaders... They were upset by all this. Look at verse 15. When the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did, and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. I think it's interesting, their Hulk smash mentality versus that of Jesus. The righteous anger that burns because of the love of God versus the religious rulers. And not only were they ticked off at at what the children were proclaiming, that Jesus was the rightful Messiah, but they were ticked off that Jesus was given the kids a voice at all. Kids in that day were perhaps to be seen, but definitely not heard, especially in the quietness of the temple. But Jesus gives the weak, the vulnerable, the young, the outsider. They gives them a voice. They matter to him. So clear a path. Church, maybe instead of attempting to bottle up our anger, maybe what we need to do is to examine where and how we channel our rage. What we get angry about. We sometimes hear these awful stories of congregations that treat people poorly when they gather for worship. But, but I tell you, I, I've heard and I've seen the way you, Restoration Church, the way you come alongside and love people. I, I've gotten feedback from first-time guests who have said, this church is just so friendly. And I'm so thankful again for your hospitality, the way that you serve, the way that you see those who are responding to the invitation of God. But could we look a a little beyond the sanctuary doors? Could we examine 
the potential barriers that are keeping those for whom Jesus died from coming to him? Let's think about some potential barriers. Let's just think about our vision for life. Does your vision include serving others, bringing others to Jesus? Are are others even on your mind? What does disciple-making look like to you? Are are there those in your path that maybe you're a lamb and they're a lion, and, and you want to avoid them, you know? Maybe, just maybe, God might be calling you to love them. We may say, I I care about the lost, but does our life, our rhythms of life, do they reflect that confession? What's your vision for life? Could we think about our schedules for a second? Are, Are you just so busy to give real practical energy to relationships with unbelievers? We make space for friends, but do we have any margins for those outside the circle? Maybe we need to give intentional, focused time in our calendar. Otherwise, it just doesn't happen. Third and finally, could you look into your toolbox for just a moment? Are you exploring, seeking out the right tools the equipping that you need to lead others to Christ. We may say, I don't have the time. I I don't know what to say. I don't understand the Bible. Some of the questions that my kids or the people at work that they have about God, I'm not quite sure what to say. My own life is just so inconsistent with Christ. How can I encourage others? If we're honest, perhaps more than a few of us might confess, I've just become so resigned to my own ineffectiveness of sharing Jesus that I've just kind of sort of given up. I still gather with God's people. I still pray. I still love people. I still enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart, but I, I honestly, I just don't give as much time and energy to those who are not with us. Again, A genuine Christ-like community is one where we are furiously focused on clearing a path for others to draw near to God. Could I just offer in closing here just a a few maybe practical ways that you might respond. First, include others in your prayer time, even just before meals. God, thank you for this food and Lord, I pray for my coworker. I pray for my son or daughter who does not know Jesus. Or maybe give financially to the most vulnerable. We have uh, agencies and programs in town that care for the poor, shelters. I remember Brett saying, um, hey, this is great that we provide a meal, but so, what some of these men need is just for us to sit down at a table and talk with them. Or maybe it's just praying and asking the Lord to help you identify who's already in your path that may not know Jesus. God, help me to spark a friendship with them. Church leaders, help us. Help our church to develop a blueprint for disciple-making. Could we clear a path? Could we be intentional about making disciples? Could you and I 
personally in our lives say, Jesus, make me an instrument of your grace to those around me.